It's just past 7 o'clock, and we are just jam-packed tonight. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So much to get to. Ira, unfortunately, not in studio, but there's good reason for it, Ira. You had a busy week. Yeah, I saw um, Warriors versus the Nets in Brooklyn, and then USC UCLA at the Coliseum in L.A., and then last night I got to go to the SoFi Stadium my first time there and saw the Steeler-Charger game that everybody was talking about all day today. Uh, what a comeback from the Steelers and how the Chargers pulled out the end. And, and I want to give you some input about or insight about the stadium, which is one of the most amazing stadiums, if not the most amazing stadium I've ever been into in my entire life. Yeah, I can't wait to hear all about this because on TV it looks just un unbelievable. And there's, you know, obviously everything's better in person. Um, but Ira, before we get into that, what an amazing week of football across every every game, basically. Upsets that you wouldn't expect. The AFC is as wide open as it's ever been. This has just been really exciting football season so far. I know. I got texts from my friend. Everyone knows I'm a Steelers fan. I love the Steelers. They're like, oh, Steelers are done. I go, Steelers have as good a chance to win the Super, go to the Super Bowl <laughs> as anybody else in the AFC. I mean, Tennessee is losing to Houston. Uh, Indianapolis is, is beating Buffalo by, by 30 points. Uh, one week, Baltimore looks terrible. Cleveland looks bad. Everybody, I mean, you can't pick a team in the AFC. Kansas City is, you can't trust them. With, with, they have one good week against Dallas. It seems like if they had, if this was, if the uh, NFL or the AFC was sort of like rankings in the college football, you would have nobody ranked in the top 20 because <laughs> all the teams keep losing. They have bad weeks. They have good weeks. It is as wide open. I cannot remember a year when it's been so wide open in, in one conference. It's funny that your friend would say that, you know, I'm assuming because it's coming off a loss. Like, me, looking at it right now, I my favorites to win the AFC are Buffalo and Tennessee still. <laughs> and they're both coming off pretty embarrassing losses. That's just what kind of season it's been. Absolutely crazy. But let's talk about it last night, Ira. Um, what a game. You know, you, you get to go to a lot of good games, but this must have been like one of your best of the year because not only was it an amazing football game, even though your team lost, but you got to see a new stadium and it was just, uh, you know, the, 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 the game was through the roof. Well, the stadium, they built it two years ago. It's $2 billion. It's the site of the old Hollywood Park racetrack. It is literally three miles from LAX. Like, you can see planes flying all over the place. It's one of the biggest airports in the world, so it's right next to that. It's hosting the Super Bowl in 2022, the College Bowl Championship in 2023. It's like a 1 million square foot canopy on the top. It's a translucent roof, and at night, it, to me, just didn't look that nice. That's the one thing at night. It, but the roof, what the roof does is it makes it louder. It's like when I was at the Superdome in New Orleans. That's the difference between this and like Heinz Field. They say, well, isn't Heinz Field loud? No, Heinz Field's loud, but there's no roof. I mean, we have a roof. It makes it louder. And so on the sides, it's a little open. And then they have the There's no scoreboard. And, the, and on the top is a scoreboard that goes around like in a circle. It's really a weird stadium. It's not like anything else. What I love about the stadium is the bowl. So it's sort of like when I say, what's the best stadiums? The ones that aren't like squares. It's like a round bowl. So if you're sitting in the corners, you're facing the action. Everyone is facing the action all the way around. But it is so big. It's enormous. The forum where the Lakers played and won all their titles is across the street from it. That's where they use that, use that parking lot in SoFi Stadium. It literally, I was like saying, what kind of word can I say what the forum looks like to SoFi Stadium? It's like the outhouse. 
I mean, it's so small. <laughs> it looks like this little, little stadium compared to this. I just cannot believe how big SoFi is. And you walk in and walk around and just even to find my seats and to go through. And there were so many levels and security on top of security on this thing and that. And you have to go and get this wristband and that wristband. It was crazy. And no one knows there what to do. Like, no one knows. Like, I mean, I, my, my, I had to show my um, ticket like four times to get where I was going to. And that was like right before I was getting to my seat, they had to show it again. They're like, well, your ticket doesn't work. I'm like, look, four times people have said my ticket works. <laughs> Clearly it works that it's, you know, it's, it's able to go in. So, um, but um, I was able to get in. But the other thing about the stadium that's so cool is that it, the lighting. I have been to every stadium. I've never seen, like my pictures that are on Iron Sports, that are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, have never been this pure. And it's just, there's lighting. I was just watching the game. It was, I just could not believe how whatever lighting they use and what bulbs they use and however they do, it is. it was clear. Like the uniforms and everything came out. The, the temperature was great in the stadium. It's, it's, it's out, Lord of us, sort of outside, but it's like a perfect temperature. And then, uh, the seats were comfortable. Like the seats were great. There's leg room in the seats. And I sat in the Founders Club section, but it looked. I talked to other people, and they said they had leg room everywhere else. Because I hate. It was at the Brooklyn Nets game on Tuesday. I'm sitting really close to the action, and I'm like doing my Pilates or yoga or whatever, <laughs> trying to put my feet in. And I'm only six two. I mean, I couldn't even put my feet in. I think if someone was even taller to fit into those seats, but. Um, just, I was just blown away by the stadium, and uh, and and with the, whenever the game is, you're watching the game, they're able to use like turn the lights out, turn the lights on. There's like six different levels of video of of things underneath the, the um, where the sections are, where the levels, where the next you know the club section, the next level, the second, third, fourth, fifth, and so they're able to put uh, video boards on those that that advertise things, but it's more just for excitement. And with the Steeler fans in the in there. That's what made it so great. The Steeler fans, so it's 70% were Steeler fans, so it was loud and energetic and everything. People well, were Charger fans, like, it's not like this for Charger games. This is only <laughs> play the Steelers doesn't go. This is crazy. And that was so much fun to be there and to see all the Steeler fans and all the terrible towels. And the, I was there two years ago for Carson when they played at that soccer stadium, and this was just this was. I told someone, I go, this one's been the loudest Steeler game I ever went to. And they're like, what? And I go, yes, because at Heinz Field, it's never this loud. It was just so loud from Steeler fans in there. It's actually funny. This was the first time I think I've ever heard the commentators actually say that. You know, they usually, like, sweep it under the rug. They were uh, they were blatant, and I texted you. They were like, you know, this is a home game for the Steelers halfway across the country. This doesn't happen for most teams. It was really cool that it turned out that way. Yeah, when the Chargers ran on the field, the Steelers, the, they got booed. They got booed for a while <laughs> oh, running geez. under their... And remember, Pittsburgh, people, if they don't know about any about geography, do you realize that Pittsburgh is on the other side of... The, you, know, you have to get on a plane in five five hours from Pittsburgh to, to L.A. So it's not like it's like Pittsburgh and like... I mean, there's, there were more Steelers fans at this than you find it, like a Ravens game or a Browns game. It was crazy. Uh, let's talk about the game itself. And, and before we do that, I want to talk about Justin Herbert for just a second. I drew a comparison in my head last night as I was watching this game. Justin Herbert to me is like Ken Griffey Jr. Just as smooth with his motion and delivery as you could possibly be. It looks effortless. Even on bad throws, they look beautiful. The kid is just something else. You're not the only person who said that. Everyone, I mean, I was there, I noticed it too. I mean, he has a quick release, and he just fires the ball. I mean, he's like a Dan Marino type of release with the, with the strength of his arm. And then he runs. Like, when he runs, he is so, he is deceptive. Like, when we say he's fast, I mean, he is fast and he's elusive. I think he's faster than Josh Allen. I, I just think he runs more, like today, like he hasn't really more hasn't run during the year. 
but he had nine carries for like 90 yards. But it's like when he's running, the Steelers just can't catch him. I mean, he's out running defensive backs. No, you're right. Josh Allen is he's pretty quick, but he's lumbering when he runs. Uh, <laughs> Justin Herbert looks like a track star when he runs. It just, I mean, every single it, and just his poise, like it really, it just reminds me of a young Ken Griffey Jr. Like he was just too cool for school and too just smooth. Everything he did looked good. Let's talk about the game itself, Ira, because it got off a little shaky. But then these offenses really picked it up. Well, the Steelers they scored a field goal. The beginning of the game, and then Chargers, that that drive for the first drive when Herbert was running and passing, it's like they have no chance at all. And then the Steelers have this problem. You saw it against the Lions last week. It had drama with the Bears. They get down to first and five, and they they can't score. I mean, they're having with Najee Harris instead of running the ball, he's like not touching the ball enough in the goal line. They get stopped on fourth down. Chargers go up fourteen three, and then. Uh, uh, the Steelers, uh, DeAndre Johnson, now he's had problems with drops, the wide receiver for the Steelers, but last night he caught everything, and that was a great touchdown pass he had in the corner of the end zone. I can't believe he came down with it, and they ended up, it was 17-10. So you're like, the Steelers are in the game, 17-10, halftime, uh, whatever. But then the Chargers come out in the second half, Herbert to Eckler, a touchdown, 24-10, field goal. Then at the end of three, the Steelers are down 27-10. to 10. Like It was like the Steelers weren't able to do anything in the third quarter. They, um, and so it was like, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I going to talk about the game? Like, it was an average game. The Steelers lost. And then it looked like it was coming up from COVID, having a week off, wasn't as sharp. But then they got a field goal to begin the fourth. And then what happened is the Chargers on the 32, they punted with 12.52 left. And it was a weird play. I still haven't got an answer for this. And maybe the TV explained it a little better because I was listening to the radio. But there was, a, there was two penalties on the play. The Steelers would have had the ball like on the 40 or 50, and the Chargers elected to punt again. Is that, is that what really happened? Is that what? Because I, I was hard. I was reading about that, and they didn't really describe if the Chargers had that option to punt the ball again. No, they didn't do a good job describing it at, at all either. And I don't think they even knew. They went to Dean Blandino, and he couldn't really give an explanation. I, I don't really know what happened there. There was one of a couple of weird, uh, weird situations last night like that. I thought that they had an option, though, even though it was offsetting penalties to re-kick. I thought they had a choice to not kick. And you're up 17 points. You're cruising along, or 14 points at the time. You, you, why, why, why try to punt again? And then they punt again, and get the punt gets blocked. The Steelers go first and goal in the three. And, uh, uh, and then, it, then it, they actually went on fourth down. They couldn't even score. But then luckily, it was a pass interference penalty. Najee Harris goes in, runs it, makes it 27-20. Uh, but then the Chargers go down, and it's like the Steelers' defense. Remember, they were missing T.J. Watt. They were missing Minka Fitzpatrick. They were missing Joe Hayden. Uh, they had other injuries during the game. This was not a great Steelers defense. Chargers come down. They make it 34-20 with 8.48 left. Again, I was listening on the radio, and the one announcer goes, oh, nobody's left the building. A lot of people left it. Down 14 points with 848. But that's when Ben put this masterful drive together. He went 6-for-7 uh, passing. Uh, his pass to Ebron for a touchdown scores it and makes that cuts it to 7. And then Herbert played great, phenomenal, but you can't throw an interception. You're up 7 with a couple minutes to go in the game. You just cannot throw an interception there at that point. Steelers get the ball. Tie goes at 34-34. And then the Chargers, I mean, it was one of those things that was weird. It was like everything was going wrong for the Chargers. That the last five minutes of the fourth quarter seemed like it went on for two hours. <laughs> it was, because then it's 34-34. The Chargers get the ball back. They're like, oh, we're going to go down and score again. They get it on fourth and like an inch, and they go for it on fourth down. That was great. On their own 34 with like three minutes to go, they get stopped, and the Steelers go kick a field goal. Uh, but then the Chargers, you know, again, I think they're just so – 
they're just so confident in their offense because then, uh, then Herbert threw to Mike Williams that 53 yard touchdown pass. I mean, I was following that ball, like when Herbert threw the ball, and I'm like, I saw Williams go down. I was on that side of the field, and I'm like, he's wide open. Like, you could see that play developing, like it was going to be a 53 yard touchdown the moment Williams broke from the line, and there was no stealer. They go, there was no stealer around him. No, that was, I mean, it was as masterful as you could have done that. I mean, it, it was a backbreaker, you know, because I'm rooting for you guys, too. It was unexpected, but, you know, it, it was still, you, you look at this kid and the poise and how they were able to do that was impressive. Um, you guys did get another shot, though, right? Another chance, but it was like, I think it was. It ended up being like fourth and like 40. I mean, they kept sacking. Uh, Bosa sacked uh, Ben, and it was like, at that point, it was just the Steelers could not mount. They were down four. They needed a touchdown to win and just couldn't mount anything to come back. I mean, it's like one of those games where I feel that the Steelers, like, you feel bad because the Steelers took the lead, but there was a moment when you actually thought, there's no way we're going to win this game. And then, they, like, I think it would have been hurt more if I was a Charger fan and lost the game than for the Steelers to be in it. And the Steelers... And the history with the Steelers and Chargers have been when they were San Diego. I remember when the Steelers, when they were winning all the Super Bowls, they would come down to San Diego, and Dan Fouts would always beat them in San Diego. And then I was at the Steelers-Charger game in the AFC Championship game when the Steelers were up at halftime, like, by 14, and blew the lead in the second half to, like, Stan Humphreys. That's a team that went on and then went and lost to San Francisco in the Super Bowl. But uh, uh, they were – it's always – the Chargers had almost 600 yards in offense. And Keenan Allen, nine catches, 112 yards. Mike Williams had 100 yards. Herbert was 400 yards and three touchdowns. Um, he's only the fifth quarterback in NFL history to throw for 300 yards and rush for 90 in a game, which is just amazing. So, Ira, going back to the second quarter real quick, on that Deontay Johnson touchdown, that was as phenomenal a series I've ever seen a wide receiver have. He made five catches for 50 yards. The one down the sideline, that Ben should not have thrown that ball. He made a fantastic catch. The touchdown catch was just as good. He's a superstar, and Chris Collinsworth, before the game, you, you obviously didn't hear this, he's like, all right, watch out for this Deontay guy. He's been getting a lot of targets with Juju Smith-Schuster out. It's like, he's been the number one target share guy for three years on this team. It's crazy that he doesn't get more of the praise for being an elite, elite-level receiver. Uh, Deontay Johnson is one of those athletes that makes every hard play. Like, I have seen... And he just has those drops, though. The drops on the easiest passes. Like, he'll go up with two guys around him, or the Ben will throw the ball, it'll be out of bounds, and he'll catch it. And, he, and I like the fact that he doesn't try to catch it one-handed. He actually goes up there, and he, he's just, he's more, a lot of anti-Antonio Brown. He plays a lot like Antonio Brown. But some, I think his problem is, on some of these games, like, he has these easy drops. They try to throw him, and that's what Antonio Brown never did. Antonio Brown did not have easy drops. Like, easy passes right to him should be just the easy, a high school player to catch it. He makes drops on those. But Chase Claypool also had some good catches, and then the use of Ebron and Firemuth at tight ends. I mean, I like the Steelers and Najee Harris. Like, I think this team is trying. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm not. People said, "Oh, it's over." No, no, no. The Steelers, <laughs> they're every. It's wide open. Ben and Ben again. Everyone wants Ben to retire, but you see Ben. Like, I watched the game last week with Mason Rudolph and the struggles the Steelers have in offense. But Ben is able to make those quick plays and is able to run the offense well. And if it wasn't Ben in there, the Steelers would have been blown out. But I just like the fact that he was able to come back. From he was out the whole week from COVID. Didn't yeah. even practice with the team. Steps on the field and uh, and throws for three hundred yards. So and we have to just quickly mention Austin Eckler. This was a day, Ira, of just some fantasy studs. I mean, if your team didn't have at least one guy that put up 28, 30 points, then you, you didn't have a good week. I mean, Austin Eckler, what do you have, uh, about 40-something points in a standard league? Just one of these phenomenal uh, days, and he was just a guy that couldn't be stopped all afternoon. 
Oh, all you yeah, did. the person sitting next the person sitting next to me was playing against Eckler and Fantasy, <laughs> and it was it was a Charger fan, a Charger fan against it. He goes, "This is torture." I'm just thinking, it's like every time it's like anybody but Eckler, and he just gets scored four touchdowns. Was doing everything, and it, uh, Jonathan Taylor for the Colts was the other, another one who had five touchdowns, and it was pretty amazing. But you're right; it's it, in a day that there wasn't a lot of players that played well fantasy wise. There was a few Eckler and Taylor that were just, I mean, fifty point fantasy. They get, you could win the entire. Uh, your your whole day on just with one player's performance. Yeah, uh, one person in my league had 100 points between three people. You know, it's just crazy how that went. Let's talk about Jonathan Taylor. Five touchdowns. That was ridiculous. But the way Indy manhandled Buffalo was more impressive. And this is, Ira, you know, we've been talking about it, how wide open the AFC is that, that Buffalo could, you know, be realistically the best defense in the league and get smoked by Indy. Buffalo, again, there, there's... We just don't. That's why you can't trust Buffalo in the playoffs. You just get nothing is going to happen. I mean, Josh Allen again, two interceptions, a sack, fumbles. Um, it was the Bills had four turnovers. I mean, this game was over. I mean, when it was uh, the uh, it, the Bills. It was seventeen seven, and then the Bills fumbled the kickoff, and Colts go like at the end of the first half. You're like, can Bills just stop this bleeding from happening? They're up seventeen seven, and then they fumble the kickoff and let the Colts score, make it twenty four seven at halftime, and then it was just destruction in the second half. But it's one of those things where the Bills some days look amazing, and then other days they look terrible. I mean, that's still they lost the Steelers that first week when they looked terrible they looked last week and then this week it's just a weird they're they're just they're just an inconsistent team and uh, for a team that like hasn't done they haven't been a super bowl like so we think they're so great but then they have these really bad losses i mean you know again they lost to jacksonville 9-6 they lose to annapolis 41-15 they lose it's these are and the Steeler loss at the beginning of the year it's just how can you say oh i'm confident buffalo's gonna win the super bowl when they lost to jacksonville and they get blown out by annapolis at home at home and this was one of the three teams in the AFC that woke up as the division leader and then went to bed not the division leader as the Patriots <laughs> jumped past them. Um, let's go to Tennessee and the, and the Texans. Tennessee is a team, if, if I knew for a fact they were getting Derrick Henry back for the first round of the playoffs, I would take them to win the Super Bowl because they can run the ball. And they've been playing sneakily good defense the last month until the Texans <laughs> came to town. And they had no answer for the Texans. And this just was really a bizarre game, I. I mean, I watched the Texans play the Dolphins two weeks ago. They looked absolutely terrible. Tennessee, which some weeks looks amazing. Again, they, I mean, they had two losses. They lost they to the Jets to and the Texans now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they, they could not. Tannehill could not do anything. He threw four interceptions. It was uh, it was 12 nothing. It was 19 nothing. Finally, Tennessee got some points at, at the, in, the, in the fourth quarter coming back there. And then twice they were, even at 19-13, they played the worst possible game. Houston's awful. Houston's a terrible team. So they had the worst possible team. Tennessee drove down twice, and Danny Hill throws two interceptions by Desmond King twice. Um, Desmond King, who had, they were telling Test Singer on TV, hasn't had an interception in three years. He had two interceptions in the fourth quarter. But it's just a terrible fourth by Tannehill. They could not have a running game. And it's just it was just a weird type of game. Tennessee out um, had 420 yards to Houston's 190. Tennessee had 26 first downs to Texans 15. So they got, Texans did nothing on offense, and they still end up winning this game. Very bizarre. Uh, speaking about doing nothing on offense, and uh, you know, I'll preface this: I'm a Giants fan, obviously, but the Cowboys are a really good team, and I think they've got just a shot as pretty much anyone else in the NFC to reach the Super Bowl. But Kansas City's defense—they're another one that I don't know where that defensive performance came from. Chris Jones looked phenomenal. Kansas City—they didn't look great, 
But anytime you beat a team like Dallas, you had a great week and a nice win for, for the Chiefs. Well, I mean, this game was, everyone was talking about this game, and I was driving and listening to it on the radio, and you just kept waiting for Dallas to erupt. I mean, they have the number one offense in the NFL, and the Chiefs have a horrendous defense and just can't stop anybody. But the Chiefs are up 16-3 at halftime, and they're just doing nothing. Dak threw two interceptions, and, and, and Pollard, I mean, they didn't even run the ball. I mean, Elliott had nine carries for 32 yards. Pollard had 50, 50 yards. I mean, I know uh, Cooper was out. Uh, from COVID, and then C.D. Lamb got hurt. But I get a combination of a lot of things. But the Cowboys only had 250 yards the entire game. This is the number one offense in the NFL. And Chris Jones, I mean, I'm driving and listening on the radio, and it's like Chris Jones sacks. Chris Jones, he just seemed to totally be in the backfield the entire time and sacking Prescott and tackling Elliott and Pollard. It, it was it was havoc, Ira. It was <laughs> just complete. Every time you looked up, Dak Prescott had <laughs> Jones in his face. Um one thing that stood out to me this game, like, like you said about the, the yards, they usually rush for 200 almost. For them to only have 250, I know the, the game script didn't go exactly the way they wanted, but, I mean, this was, we had so many, you know, people scoring 30 points in fantasy, and then you have Dak Prescott who scored two and in a game where you'd think he'd have, <laughs> he'd have 30 or 40. Another just bizarre game on what was a very bizarre Sunday. And Mahomes, and Mahomes didn't play that great. I mean, No, he, he wasn't I, phenomenal. I mean, he played... Yeah, no, he didn't even throw a touchdown pass. He had interception and a fumble, and uh, they still end up winning. I mean, if you said that Mahomes had a, had no touchdown passes, one interception, a fumble, you thought the Chiefs would have lost like fifty to ten. Yeah. And then the thing that they came out with a victory like that, but again, that just shows the the NFL is just real. The parody has taken over over the NFL. Anybody can lose on any given day. So I, I had said last week, it wouldn't surprise me if the Dolphins reel off four wins in a row because they play the Jets twice. They're going to play Carolina and the Giants in between those two games. And they looked, you know, pretty darn good against the Ravens a week ago. This game was pretty ugly for a win. Uh, uh, Dolphins did do enough to beat the Jets and Joe Flacco. But neither team looked good at all. And I wouldn't be that confident whether I won or lost this one. Well, the, the Dolphins now are 4-7. You're right. And they beat Joe, right, beat Joe Flacco. They won three straight. Two was, again, if there's anything that we're taking away from the season is that there is a trade to Deshaun Watson, and two is going to get traded to the Texans. The, everything that Tua does helps make that trade happen. So that, that's going to be the done deal that Tua is going to get traded. He's actually making it appealing that the Texans look at someone like Tua and say, look, he's pretty good. And a game like this helps him because he played well. And you're right. They play Carolina, then they play the Giants, and they play the Jets again. New Orleans has been struggling. So there's, you know, there's a way that I'm not saying the Dolphins are going to make the playoffs, but they're, they could get six or seven wins on the season, which uh, is beginning in the way the season started. You never thought they would get to that level. And uh, Jalen Waddle, their number one pick, is starting to look like he had eight catches for 65 yards he's starting to play well and uh i, I just this was again a nice win for the dolphins because they got a win and the jets are just the jets i just don't understand starting flacco instead of mike white the the uh player that came in the quarterback that they had that had the one good game and the one bad game like if you're the jets you want to have white play well so maybe you could trade him and get a draft pick i i just don't understand your season's over so i don't understand why they were playing and, and, and to me i read that was bizarre it's like does robert sala think he's on the, the chopping block already it's been it's been 10 games <laughs> like you you got a rookie quarterback you had the second worst team in football last year you think you're on the hot seat man go ahead and start mike white who cares if you lose by 50 you need to find out what you have in this guy because like you said get a draft pick get something just really bizarre going back to Tua for one second. 
The first drive, Ira, if you just saw that, you would think Tua was going to have 450 yards and five touchdowns. He was <laughs> phenomenal. And then he just faded into obscurity for for an hour and a half through a beautiful 60-yard touchdown, and that was it. It's like he's like a tale of two people. It's hard to know series to series what you're going to get from him. And that could be play calling. I mean, that could be yeah. just how they're calling the plays, and that could be, we talked about how there's two offensive coordinators the Dolphins use. It could be confusion, and it could be some of that. And, and again, I do not understand how Waddle is not running down the field. That, if you see two in a Waddle, I have no idea why Waddle's not running. He's, the, he's super fast. So it just it seems like they're very conservative on how they use him. But uh, I don't know, maybe bring back. If, he, if Steve Sarkeesian gets fired from... <laughs> The, te- the Texas Longhorns, then you bring him in to be the offensive coordinator for Miami Dolphins, and then they can recreate the great uh, uh, Bama offense. Speaking about bringing people back, Cam Newton, his return to Charlotte. Um, this was a weird game. I don't know if you knew this, but the line was one and a half points um, before the Cam uh, announces starter. It moved to three and a half. So Vegas thought Cam was worth two points, which I thought was a little crazy here. I liked Washington to win the game. I was proud of Cam, though. I mean, he he lost the game, but he played pretty darn good, all things considered, and he should be happy that he's back home, I guess. Well, he passed for two, ran for one. I watched the whole game. Taylor Heineke played great for Washington, um, and I thought I thought Carolina had a chance to win the game at the end. They were down 27-21. Two times he had the ball. They got stopped on fourth down, but it was like this homecoming because Ron Rivera, the coach of Washington, coached at Carolina, so it was homecoming for him. Taylor Heineke actually played at Carolina back at Washington, so he was at Washington. He was a Washington quarterback, so it was a mixture of, of both things, but um Look, when you watch a game like this, you're thinking, well, Cam really needed those year and a half off, so now he's back. And, and, and I thought, for, for considering he hasn't had more than like about a couple days of practice with the team, I thought he ran the team well. And uh, look, Carolina's in the playoff picture. Everything in the NFC, again, they're 5-6. and six. Anybody, there's only a couple teams that are, are out. So I think that's one reason. I mean, that's why Carolina brought Newton and Cam Newton back. His, um, and, I, and I don't expect Sam Darnold when he comes back, if he's healthy, he's going to play. I think Cam Newton will finish this year out. But uh, the excitement, I mean, you can see how the players rally around him. I was, it was a really, it was, this was actually a fairly good football game because Washington played well. Yeah, no, it, it was. A, it was a, be, a better game than I thought it was going to be. I thought Washington coming off the big win uh, versus Tampa would, would roll them. But Cam Newton, you know, he, he had a little bit of magic in him. Let's go back to Thursday night. And Ira, if you're a Falcons fan, I don't know what you you know get out of bed for in the morning. You can be a fan of a bad team, but when the Falcons are bad, they are horrible. It's almost unwatchable. And Bill Belichick did what he does to bad teams, and he just destroyed them. Well, Atlanta, this is the one. I saw was reading this in the paper. So remember when the Super Bowl a couple years ago, the Falcons were up 28-3. to They blow the lead. Brady comes back, and they win. Well, during the game, there was a lunar eclipse on Thursday night. And it was, <laughs> remember, 28-3? It was three hours and 28 minutes. So unbelievable. <laughs> like, they cannot get away from that game. And Matt Ryan was sacked for them. This New England defense, they have... They are now looking like the old Bears defense. I mean, they've allowed 13 points in three games. Uh, Mac Jones was 22 or 26. I mean, it seems like he doesn't even throw it. I mean, an incompletion. I mean, in every game it's like he has four completions and three incompletions and two incompletions. And uh, but the New England defense was dominant. And oh, this is what people thought. I mean, look, they signed a lot of free agents this winter. Um, that they were Dante Hightower. A lot. They had uh, a couple players like Hightower sat out from COVID last year. 
So now this defense is rounding to form, and this is now three really big wins for them in terms of just dominating defense. And now, remember, the Bills have a problem. The Bills and, and the Patriots play two of the next, like, four weeks they play against each other. So this is the chance for New England to really, like, they could, they're a 7-4, and four, and if they beat the Bills twice, they're going to win this division. No, you're absolutely right on that. It'll be exciting as they do, you know, they haven't played each other yet. One thing from this game, you know, you watch the other rookie quarterbacks. If you watch Zach Wilson, he throws, like, seven bad passes a game. Trevor Lawrence throws like four. When Mac Jones threw, he threw an interception, you, you almost were taken back. Like, wow, he, he that was a bad pass from Mac Jones. He hasn't thrown bad passes in weeks. It's crazy. I mean, I know they're not asking him to do much. The other guys are getting asked to do more. But, man, like you said, it's like he doesn't make incompletions, let alone interceptions. He's doing everything they've asked of and more. Right. And that's in the whole Brady Belichick debate. And we've talked about it for a long time. And, and I always said, you know, the variance that Belichick has is he's. He, he can coach longer than Brady can play. And Brady can play, you know, there's a point where Brady's going to be 55 years old and can't be playing. But the point is Belichick could be coaching at like 85. So there is a point where he can outlast him and he finally has a, a young quarterback that he can win with and then the defense. And that's what Belichick's roots are is coaching defense. And, and, and that's what the, well, remember when Brady started his first couple of Super Bowls, the defense were the, were, carried the team more so than the offense. So let's talk about, you know, in the same vein, a quarterback who doesn't get asked to do a whole lot, just Seems to be efficient, not turn the ball over. Jimmy G had a very nice job uh, against Jacksonville. Not that Jacksonville's, you know, any tough opponent, but he was efficient, looked great, and so did the 49ers. Well, we did finish our show last Sunday. Monday night, I mean, the 49ers season was, was like, it was gone. Like, the, the season was over for the 49ers. They're sitting at 3-5. and five. They're ready to lose to the Rams. Like, this is going to be the end of the 49ers. Like, over. They beat the Rams. One ten, which I didn't even see coming. No. And then they go against, and then they have to fly across the country. And you're like, okay, they had a Monday night win. They have to fly all the way across the country. I mean, everyone figured they were going to lose this game. They score on the first five possessions. Uh, I, it's just unbelievable. They're using Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, their running back, who I have a fantasy who couldn't play, which is a problem too. But but they start Debo Samuel. You see these teams now taking wide receivers like Cordell Patterson for the for the Falcons, and now Debo Samuel for the 49ers. They're using the wide receiver as their running back. He had eight carries for 79 yards. Jimmy G threw for, I mean, he'll never throw for more than 200 yards. He threw 166 yards. But again, the 49ers went up 27-3 to and just coast. And I think it was a bad performance by Jacksonville. Like, you're waiting for the 2-8, but this is one where I was hoping that they I, the, I was just hope, looking for more out of them to play terrible. And Trevor Lawrence didn't have a good game, uh, and just not a good, not a good situation for Jacksonville. And we're going to talk about Dan Mullen when we talk about college football. I mean, Dan Mullen, you would think would maybe go to Jacksonville and become an offensive coordinator. They're trying to get this offense to work. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, Let's talk about the Ravens and the Bears. We knew this one was going to be pretty ugly, Ira. Uh, Lamar Jackson not playing. Hollywood Brown, uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown not playing. And it came down to the wire. The Ravens got a win with their backup quarterback. But it kind of a gross game. And unfortunately, Justin Fields left with injury also. Yeah, he's out. Uh, Lamar Jackson doesn't play. I mean, there's an issue about Lamar Jackson. I mean, he doesn't. He's not been vaccinated. Um, he's had COVID twice, but he can, now he's been getting sick, and so he's had illnesses throughout the whole season. And there's another question what about the Ravens, but what a terrible game. I mean, I watched it. It was one of the worst. That game is terrible. 16-13, uh, the Ravens win, but they're 7-3. and three. And, and look, they're trying to get a win and win and win it, so it doesn't matter if you win 50 to nothing or in a terrible game like this. So that was big for the Ravens because they're trying to stay ahead of the Browns, the Steelers, and the Bengals and stay ahead of that division. Uh, let's talk Packers and Vikings. I had a feeling that this was going to be a good game and maybe a trap game uh, for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And the Vikings looked really good. And at times, the Packers just really couldn't get anything going. Close game, 34-31 Vikings. 
I think the concern of this game was the Packers' defense, which has been looking great this whole the last, I guess, month and a half. Yeah. Uh, just could not stop Minnesota at all. Kirk Cousins he was able to come down there at the end. And I love you know what? You gotta you gotta admire uh, Minnesota because they were not going to give like they were like and, and and Cook when he had a chance to score a touchdown. Yeah. I was like, we are not letting Aaron Rodgers touch the ball. Like we're going to kick a field goal for twenty nine yards. It was thirty one thirty one, and they're like, we are not scoring a touchdown. We are not giving Aaron Rodgers one second. They took it down to nothing, and that was smart. That, that's where a team understands. I mean, I know the Vikings are five and five, but on offense, they are smart. They realize what they had to do to win the game, and I think some of these other teams don't get it. They score too fast, and you're going to give Aaron Rodgers. If you gave Aaron Rodgers 30 seconds, he was going to come back and win that game. So that was smart on their part to go and to, and to just kick the field goal as time ran out. Yeah, they got to like the 25 with two and a half minutes left, and you could see them kind of sweating on the side. like, oh man, we need a couple of good runs here, and then just uh, kneel it down at the five and get a, give a chip shot here. Uh, let's talk about Cardinals in Seattle. Man, Ira, it, maybe it's Russell Wilson's finger is still, you know, something wrong with it, but the, the Seahawks look bad, and Russell Wilson really looked bad. The Seattle's terrible. Um, they're they're out. They're, they have no chance at this point. And uh, the Cardinals, without Kyler Murray, without Dr. Hopkins, uh, with Cole McCoy as their backup. I mean, we have so many backup quarters we're playing this week, and he threw for 330 yards and two touchdowns. But the Cardinals, which we say about the Ravens, when the Cardinals are winning these games without Murray, and you're like, the, uh, the story last year was that when Murray gets hurt, they can't win. Now they're 9-2, and two, and they're in a position maybe to get that one bye, that first, uh, the first round bye, or the team that gets the first seed has that bye the first week. But that was a big win, and, uh, and Seattle, though, is finished. Colt McCoy had the most uh, completions of his career with 35. I think 31 was his prior high. A couple of quick uh, NFL things here, Ira. Taysom Hill signed a four-year deal worth somewhere between $40 million and $95 million. I think that's a little strange. It just seems like a lot of money to me for Taysom Hill. Yeah, that seems high. Yeah, I saw that come across that he can make $25 million a year potentially. A little strange. So where do we sit here uh, with the playoff picture as we are uh, more than halfway through the season? Ravens are seven three and Titans are eight and three, and then everyone else is has either four or five losses. <laughs> the only ones who are out are Jets, Texas, and Jaguars in the AFC. And the NFC, Dallas is at set. Dallas, Green Bay, and Tampa all have two games. So Tampa wins tonight, has a uh, two game leads, and then the Ricards and the Rams are nine and two and seven three. But that's five teams. But then everybody else is playing for the wild card except for the Lions at oh nine and one. So right now the Jets. Maybe Seattle. Look, even Seattle could win a few games and get into this. But Jets, Texans, Jaguars, and Lions, only four teams are out. Everyone else gets to potentially make the playoffs, which is amazing because we're already we're almost in December, and you're saying that 28 of the 32 NFL teams are still playing for playoff spots. Ira, let's talk about tonight's game. Giants in Tampa Bay to face the Bucks. The Lions at 11, depending on where you look. I think this game's going to be closer than people think. I think the Giants are going to be able to score a lot. The Bucks' defense is not looking like it did last year on their Super Bowl run. And Tom Brady, the past uh, couple of weeks without uh, Gronkowski and without A.B., hasn't been super. He's been good, but not super. He gets Gronk back tonight. But I think the Giants keep this close, and I think it's high scoring. Well, it's like one of those games at 11 points. It could be technically high scoring. If, if it's a high scoring game, you'd love to get uh, the Giants plus 11. I still, I, as much as I always go with the underdogs with these high lines. I just think that Brady, they have two losses in a row, New Orleans and Washington. I, I look for a big win. I'm just not sold on the Giants. but uh, So I would, t- I would take Bucks minus 11. But I do agree. This could be something like 48 to, to 25. But uh, Tampa has to win this. I mean, they, if they lose this game, people are going to be questioning. I, mean, just, I think Brady hasn't lost three in a row in a very long time. What are we watching next week? 
Um, just some real, Thursday night Chicago to Thursdays, the, the Thanksgiving Day games aren't that great. I mean, really, Buffalo at New Orleans, maybe uh, the Sunday, Thursday night game. But the big game next weekend is uh, Tennessee at New England. A big one is the, the Rams at Green Bay, which is going to be tremendous. And then if you're looking for a bad game, how about the Jets are at Houston. Tickets for that game are, I think, less than $10 to get into a, an NFL game. <laughs> Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo at 738. Let's uh, jump over to NCAA, uh, Iron. Where do we stand here? Okay, so last week I said there were nine teams with a chance and two teams needed everything possible to happen to get in. Um, and what happened is that one of those teams that need everything possible is out, which is Wake Forest, and that leaves Notre Dame. And the nine teams with a chance has been now reduced by two because Michigan State lost to Ohio State and Oregon lost to Utah. So they're both out. So now there's seven teams with a chance, and Notre Dame would need absolutely everything else. And then the weird thing is that this weekend, four of those seven teams play each other. Michigan plays Ohio State, and uh, Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State. So that'll be reduced to five teams plus Notre Dame. So Georgia's in. Okay, they, they play Georgia Tech next week. They're favored by 35. If they lose the Alabama SEC title game, doesn't matter. They're in. Alabama plays Auburn next week. They're 20 point favorites. Should win that game, then they have the SEC title game. The question is Alabama has one loss. They lost to Texas AM. If they get two losses, no two loss team has never made the Pagodial playoff. But if, they, if the game is sort of close, they lose to Georgia. I think Alabama still gets in. I, win or lose it. As long as they beat Auburn, then they win or they'll get in. Ohio State plays Michigan this week, um, either between Ohio State or Michigan. The winner of that game is going to then play for the Big Ten Championship game. Each team has one loss. As long as they don't get upset in the Big Ten Championship game, they're going to be in. So you've got Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. So really we're looking at the fourth position. So what's going to happen is Cincinnati right now, now they finally are now in the fourth position because Oregon losing, they're going to move up. Uh, they play East Carolina. Then they play a championship game against Houston, which is Houston's actually playing pretty well. So they could lose this, but they're, they're, they're holding hope on that Notre Dame win that they had. And as long as Cincinnati at, uh, at, is in, that he wins out, they probably get that. So between Cincinnati, Notre, I think they'll never give it to Notre Dame. Notre Dame plays Stanford, no championship game. I just think as long as Cincinnati stays undefeated, Notre Dame can't get in there. And the question is, what about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State? Each has a loss. They play each other next week in Bedlam. And if Oklahoma wins, they play. If uh, Oklahoma State wins, uh, then they play again uh, in the, fall, the following week. Uh, but I think that in the, in the championship game. But I just think that I just don't think that's enough. I think they're going to still keep Cincinnati over Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. That would be the one question would be, would Cincinnati get in over Oklahoma or Oklahoma State? So, Ira, let's talk about it. I was really excited for you at this game, um, decked out in your Ira on sports gear, too, USC and UCLA. Well, it was I went to USC-UCLA game at UCLA at the Rose Bowl. That was three years ago, or two years ago, or three years ago. It would have been odd years. But anyway, but I loved it. It was a lot of fun. But being at the Coliseum... That's, that's, it was like, that's where all the history and tradition is with USC, where they play. These schools are only 12 miles apart. Um, it's funny, in team sports, UCLA has 118 championships in team sports. USC has 107. That's like one, two and three in terms of, you know, Cal has more, like, University of California has the most in team sports. But um, there's no name for this game. They're like the game or the Iron Bowl or Bedlam. So they just call it USC versus LA. Um, and during the week, the USC puts their Trojan statue under security. The UCLA puts the Bruin statue under security. They used to play it at the Coliseum until 82, but then UCLA moved to the Rose Bowl. 
And what I love about this game, if you go in my Iron Sports and look at the pictures, they both wear home colors. There's this whole rule where they, they so UCLA wears their blue tops and the USC wears their red tops. They don't wear white for this game. And the NCAA said, no, you can't do that. It was a rule from black and white television. You're not, it was too hard to tell. But, of course, you can tell blue from red in this game. And so they, uh, they allow it. So I think the game is very picturesque when they have the different colors. USC leads the series 49 to 33. And the one thing that you see you when you go to USC, they're so – that's why they fired their coach after two games. They say, we've won 37 conference championships. 34 bowl victories, 25 Rose Bowls, 116 All-Americans, uh, 45 College Football Hall of Fames, 16 Pro Football Hall of Fames, 16 Heismans, and 11 National Championships. And I'm telling you, they hit that. They show that every single second, the, the overall pride of, of that. And, and the most one of those famous USC UCLA games in 67 when uh, uh, O.J. Simpson was number four. They were undefeated USC against USC, UCLA with Gary Beaven. And the winner of the game was supposedly going to win the Heisman. Beaven ended up winning the game. UCLA won it. He won the Heisman that year. O.J. won it the next year. And then in 2006, 13, uh, UCLA defeated the Trojans 13-9. That's when USC under Pete Carroll, who's coaching Seattle now, was winning like national championship after national championship. And that's the one year that they were stopped from winning the national championship because UCLA beat them 13-9 to uh, for the game. Let's talk about uh, the game itself, the atmosphere, how, how everything went uh, before the game. Well, it's just, the, I love the bands. You have the bands, you have the Trojans, you have, like, what other game does the Trojan ride on a horse? The horse comes in. Um, the, the music that they play are, like, the most college football historic music. And you walk into the Coliseum and walk down to your seats. Uh, all the food and concessions are outside. Uh, it was just, I just like, I love everything about it. It just, and you're at the Coliseum. This is where they've had the Super Bowls and the Olympics. And then in the fourth quarter, they, they, the Trojan horse, the person riding the horse runs over and they light the torch and the torch comes up and then you have the Olympic torch that's on for the fourth quarter. Just history, everything about the game is, is, is great. But the game itself, UCLA destroyed him, 62-33. The storyline of the game was, was Jackson darts. That both teams have been struggling this year. UCLA, not as much as, as USC, but UCLA, USC fired their uh, coach, uh, Chip Helton, or, or Clay Helton, earlier in the year. But it was Jackson darts' first start uh, for USC. He's the number one high school player in the country. Keaton Slovis was supposed to be the star quarterback for USC. He's been hurt, injured, played terrible. I mean, people had him going the number one pick in the NFL draft. Now he's not going to probably get drafted at all if he goes out, has to figure out a way to, to go somewhere else. But Jackson Dart's first start. Uh, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson is UCLA's um, fourth-year senior, has an up-and-down career, but he played. He's starting to play better. And Zach Char- Charbonneau, the running back for UCLA, for his first two years was at Michigan. So this was uh, – and then so you have USC, who they fired their coach, Clay Hamilton, and USC's coach, Chip Kelly, if you remember Chip Kelly, four years at Oregon, won every game, played a national championship game, went to uh, Philadelphia, was terrible there. San Francisco was 2-14, so he's fired from the Eagles, fired from San Francisco 49ers, and now at UCLA in four years, he's 17 wins and 25 losses. So people are not too happy about the situation. But it was it's, he's playing better, and it was a big win for them to go up 62-33. to 33. And it was just one of those things where – Interception, interception, the first couple, but then Darius Thompson-Robinson, I call him DTR, uh, just was throwing, running, and at the end of the first half, he ran for a touchdown, and a little kid had was standing on the side of the field and had like a cap with a pen, and as he's rolling after he, after he scores a touchdown, he signed an autograph, and right in front of the referee, and the referee throws a flag on Sportsman like Gondek, and I don't know, I thought that was like, don't throw, I mean, it was like he brought the pen out, it wasn't a prop, he just wanted to be nice and sign the autograph for the kid. 
<laughs> Let's talk about um, just really quick Georgia. I mean, this team is like a, a steamroller. Nothing's going to slow them down. Yeah, um, they were. Georgia won 56-7 over Charleston Southern. It was just one of the situations where Georgia is like, the question is, can they stay motivated playing Georgia Tech and getting ready for Alabama in two weeks in the, in the SEC championship game? Let's, uh, Arkansas played a pretty good game against Alabama, but Alabama just had enough to outlast them. Well, it was one of those games where they won. Alabama won 42-35. They were up 3-0, 10-0, 17-7, 24-14, and 31-14. Arkansas kept coming back the entire game. And that was what it is. And it was uh, uh, really, Arkansas had 21 points in the second half. But Bryce Young threw for 559 yards, five touchdowns, an all-time Alabama record, second most in SEC history. I mean, this is a Bama record that stood since 1969. And uh, Jameson Williams had 190 catches, 109 yards catching for three touchdowns, and John Mitchie, the third, 173 for one touchdown. But the Alabama defense, this is the question with Alabama now, playing Georgia, Georgia has no offense, but this Alabama defense is just struggling after struggling. It's not, it's, it's fallen totally apart. And the question is, if Alabama can't score on Georgia, can Georgia just do something against a poor Alabama offense? So it was a big win for Alabama. The question is also for, uh, for Arkansas. I mean, Sam Pittman now at 7-4 and four has done a great job uh, for this team and, uh, and, and really turned around a program that was the worst in the SEC. But is, the question is for Alabama is, what is their defense? Can they stop anyone and to win a national championship? Again, they have to be Auburn, Alabama, and play win two. They have, you know win four games and they're going to win the national championship. But can, is this team going to be good enough to get by Georgia? So, Ira, if you open up ESPN.com right now, the top of the college football page is Buck Stroud emerges as Heisman favorite, and you don't think it should be. I think it's Bryce Young. They both their their numbers are equal. Look at Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, the quarterback for Ohio State. They both have 3,500 yards. They're both 72 percent. Bryce Young has 38 touchdowns and three interceptions. C.J. Stroud 36 touchdowns, five interceptions. They have a 186 rating. They are about as equal as I've ever seen two quarterbacks. I just think Bryce Young at Alabama has played tougher competitions in the SEC than C.J. Stroud has in the Big Ten. And I was at the game that C.J. Stroud was against Penn State. I don't think he looked that great in that game. But, I mean, I look, I think these are the two top Heisman Trophy candidates. One of these two is going to win the Heisman Trophy uh, because Kenneth Walker for Michigan State had a terrible game this last week. But we'll see. Look, it's not over yet. Each one has a couple games left and what happens. But right now, to say Stroud is ahead of Young is crazy when their stats are, are the same. And Young is playing against, I feel, week in and week out, the SEC. Look, I'm like the Big Ten, but the Big Ten competition is not with the SEC competition. No, especially when it comes to the defenses. I mean, they're, they're all NFL caliber defense. They're NFL caliber players all across those defenses. Ira, you've been calling Oregon smoke and mirrors all season, and it really showed versus Utah. I'm leaving the USC UCLA game in the car. I'm like, I gotta go. I gotta gotta watch this game. And it was fourteen nothing Utah with five minutes to go in the first half. I'm like, boy, Oregon's not scoring at all. Then Oregon scores a touchdown, and then and then and then then they're down twenty one nothing. And then they stupidly try to like instead of saying, well, this game is a disaster. Like the last few seconds, they're trying to run a play, had to punt. And Utah ran the punt back for a touchdown to make it 28 nothing. So it was terrible. Oregon, to lose like this, I mean, Oregon only had 294 yards in rush in offense. Um, they were a total fraud at number three. They went over Ohio State. And if Ohio State lost, watches that game and says, how in the world did we ever lose to that team at home? That's crazy. But it won't hurt Ohio State. They're going to be in the playoffs. But it's like one of those questions is, how in the world did Ohio State ever lose to Oregon? And when you watch how Oregon cannot score at all, cannot move the ball at all, and play stupid football. So let's talk about Ohio State and Michigan State, this game real quick. I'm looking at it, Ira, and the line is 19 and a half. And I'm thinking, how is the number seven seed 
getting 20 points to the number four seed. Kind of crazy, and within 10 minutes, they blew out that number, that 19 number. Absolutely crazy, and this is another reason why expanding the college playoffs, I don't think we need to. I agree, and that's what I'm saying. Is that Ohio State, these teams don't deserve to get into it, and Ohio State scored in the first seven possessions. Stroud was great. He has three NFL wide receivers in Olave, Wilson, and Dejiba. They each had over 100. I don't know if I remember seeing three team, a team with three wide receivers that each had two touchdowns and over 100 yards. But uh, it was it was this game was wide over, and Kenneth Walker, the star running back for Michigan State, six carries for 25 yards, uh, no chance for a Heisman now on that. But any hope that Michigan State had to, to beat Ohio State that was over in a second. I mean, 49 nothing at halftime when when the number when you're playing the number seven team in the country. Let's talk about Cincinnati and SMU. Cincinnati keeps rolling. They, they had to keep winning. They play East Carolina next week, but this is one where SMU was 8-3, and three, but uh, Cincinnati uh, was just dominating, 600 yards, 200 yards. Um, there was Desmond Ritter, the quarterback, played great. But it's like one of those things where this could be where we might finally have the non-Power 5 conference team, which is Cincinnati, who's been playing well the last few years in a Luke Fickle, finally break into uh, the college football playoffs. Let's talk about Michigan and Maryland. Same thing, team you have to beat, and they did handily. Yeah, it was this game, and I'm going to jump to Notre Dame, too. Both those teams, Michigan blows out Maryland. Notre Dame blows out Georgia Tech. I mean, you saw some of these games where these teams came focused. I mean, Michigan knows that they, they're playing Ohio State next week. They're not. They just get this game over with. Uh, bad loss for Maryland. Maryland's now lost uh, 34 straight games against ranked conference opponents. And then Notre Dame game, it was 45 nothing at halftime. Jack Cohn uh, played great for, for them. But, it's, again, Notre Dame's they can't do anything. Michigan's playing Ohio State. The Michigan plays against championship game. Notre Dame can't do anything. They have that one loss in Cincinnati. That's what's going to keep them out of uh, the college football playoff. Oklahoma State is another high, highly ranked team that had to crush their opponent that wasn't rated, and they did. Yeah, Oklahoma State beats Texas Tech 23 nothing. Uh, sets them up now to play Oklahoma in the in the Big 12 championship game. If Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, then Oklahoma State plays Baylor. If Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State, then they have to just have a rematch. Oklahoma beat Iowa State. Oklahoma, this is like their seventh game where they won a game with uh, with a school that was spread is at under seven points. Um, Iowa State has had a weird year. They have had five losses by seven or fewer points. So Iowa State's been losing the close games. Everybody thought that this was going to be Iowa State year. They were ranked in the top ten going into the year. Just a disappointing year at six and five. But now this sets up Oklahoma, Oklahoma State uh, for in Bedlam, which is there's three big games this weekend: Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Alabama, Auburn, and all three are enormous to go see. So, Ira, you said it before: Wake Forest had to win and really did not look good against Clemson. No, they got blown out. Um, a nice year for Wake Forest. They can still get to the ACC title game. Clemson's had this terrible year. They, they have eight, three losses. They finally righted the ship, and now have been one and four in a row. But it looks like Wake Forest will play Pitt in the ACC championship game. Uh, neither team has a chance to get in the college football playoff, but uh, they both have because they have well, would have two losses. But it was look, Wake Forest was a surprise year. They were running around undefeated for a while, and they lose. But uh, uh, but the point is, they weren't going to. Their non-conference schedule was too weak. They were never going to play in the college football playoff. If there's ever a team, it's the craziest thing. Mississippi beat Vanderbilt 31-17. They might be the only team where if everybody starts to lose. Cincinnati loses. If Ohio State lost the Big Ten championship game, something crazy like that, maybe Mississippi would get in. But uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think we, I I laid out the fact that I think this is Cincinnati. They went out. They're in the Big Ten. Alabama and Georgia will be in. Uh, Florida State played Boston College. This was a close one. 
Yeah, 26-23. They were up 26-3 and almost blew the lead. But now uh, Florida State started the year 0-4. Now they've won uh, five out of seven games, and now they set up a, a game next week against Florida, which people were going to be shocked that both schools are 5-6 and six going into that game. The winner gets is bowl eligible, whatever that means in this case. But, you know, people say bowl eligible. You can still have five wins and five and seven and still will get you in a bowl if there's not enough teams to fill. And I expect that some of these teams with COVID and everything are going to decline bowl invitations. So they're probably going to, there's a zillion bowls. I think they're going to take some teams with five wins. No, absolutely they are. Um, University of Miami is a team in flux, obviously, but it looks like Tyler Van Dyke might be the answer there, a quarterback that they've been looking for a while. And if they fire Manny Diaz, that's making it more like this could be a spot that people like to go to because Tyler Van Dyke looks like the real deal and you'd have two more years of him as a quarterback. Uh, played great, 357 yards, three touchdowns. And finally, wow, I mean, this is, uh, is amazing. And Charleston Rambo is having this surprisingly tremendous year where he could be the all-time leader in season uh, in, uh, in, uh, for, for receptions and yards. Considering all the great, like Mike Warbin, all the great wide receivers Miami has had, uh, he's having a, a sneaky, very good year. But now Miami is now 6-5, and five, uh, and they win 38-26 over Virginia Tech. Did you hear that Tyler Van Dyke um, trademarked Tyler Van Dimes? <laughs> okay, okay. His, so yeah, his NIL stuff. Uh, and then finally, Florida. Um, Florida went out. They had to face Missouri, and but Dan Mullen is going to be gone from Florida after four seasons. Well, well, he was no, he was, but he's been. He was. They did. They did release on last Sunday night. Yeah, Sunday yeah before morning, the game. Scott Strickland. Um, they went. He said he went to bed, woke up, didn't have a good feeling, couldn't sleep, and then decided to fire Dan Mullen. Um, but uh, Dan Mullen's only forty nine years old. He was with Urban Meyer at Bowling Green, Utah. His offense coordinator, Florida, under Meyer for from two thousand five to two thousand eight. Then he was nine years in Mississippi State, and over those nine years, he was like fourth or fifth in the West. He had one year he was ten and three. He goes to Florida. His first year ten and three, second year eleven two. I was there at the game when they beat Virginia. He's holding a trophy and saying, "We're next. We're going to win everything. We're going to be the number one elite team." We're knocking Alabama off. And then he was five and six during the COVID year, which is really weird because they had the whole Kyle Trask and people sitting out. And then uh, then this year was a was a. I mean, um, no, last year last year they were eight and four, and this year they're five and six. So I think really what hurt him was last year. I think the expectations going into last year were so high with the star quarterback, and I think that's what really set them down and then you had this year um, where they weren't able to recover from losing all the players like they did last year but I still am surprised I mean as I said Steve there's a lot of people that Steve Spurrier is still involved with the program he lives across the street from the athletic director and Spurrier and Mo Meyer really didn't get along and maybe this is his chance Spurrier didn't never really like Dan Mullen and maybe this is a way for Spurrier to get Dan Mullen you know I, I was surprised I thought they would give Mullen one more year considering I mean, again, these coaches are getting fired by all these schools, and they had success. Like two years ago, they were 11-2, and two, and the year before, 10-3, and three, and now they're getting fired now. Well, I mean, LSU is a perfect example. What are we watching next week? Ohio State, Michigan, Ohio State favored by eight, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State favored by three, and then Alabama minus 19 at Auburn. So those are the three big games. And Penn State, Michigan State, we'll mention that um, that game. But uh, we didn't even talk about Penn State this week, and, and they beat Rutgers. <laughs> let's, uh, let's switch over to the NBA. You were at a, uh, what I thought was going to be an amazing game, and it turned out to be because it was the Steph Curry show, and this guy and the Warriors are just on fire. Well, it was at halftime. It was it was the Warriors were down fifty eight fifty seven at the end of the first half, and that right before the end, and then then they then Curry hits a three, and then another three, and he was just he scored thirty seven points, twelve for nineteen, nine for fourteen from three point line, and 
but this is a statement game. Like, there's an 82 games the NBA season. The game was over, and they're like, Steph Curry's going to win the MVP. Like, Kevin Durant played terrible. He was 6 for 19 for 19 points. Harden was awful. And they got, that's got blown out in the third quarter. It was, it was a, there was a totally blown out in the third quarter. And after that, it was 35 to 18. And then they didn't even put Durant and Harden back in in the fourth quarter. They played the whole third quarter. But the Warriors are, look so good this year. They have Draymond Green, looks like he's in shape, playing well. Jordan Poole is their guard, playing well. Andrew Wiggins scored 19 points. And then off the bench, they put Kaminga, Agadala, Otto Porter, David Lee. So this is a Warriors team that struggled like two years ago and last year. And now, and they have Clay Thompson coming back. And they have Gene Wiseman, the number one pick, coming back. And, and the Nets look like a mess. And I'm telling you, I said what I said last year, I'm going to say again. Kevin Durant had 19 shots in a the game. They took 90 shots. Kevin Durant has got to shoot the ball more. He stands there and puts his hand out, like, throw me the ball while uh, Patty Mills is dribbling crazy and just throws up a wild shot. Like, uh, it's just, I don't understand this team, and I don't understand why Durant doesn't shoot more, and they run the offense through him. And that's, and the Curry certainly cemented himself to, to be the MVP favorite right now with that amazing performance. What else is going on in the East? Really, look, we're going to talk more in the NBA going forward. Every, what's more surprising is teams like the Washington Wizards are playing well. The Chicago Bulls, with the, the moves they made, are playing great. The Heat are in there, but they're all sort of within a game each other. They're, it's like everybody but the Pistons and Magic, they're, they're terrible, and everyone else seems to be in the mix. And in the West, Golden State and Phoenix are playing great, and everyone else is sort of in that next level, including the Lakers. And then you have a few teams like the Rockets are one and fifteen, the Pelicans are three and fifteen. The whole Zion Williamson hasn't played all year, but you know it, it, we'll go and we'll talk about Sacramento fire their coach Luke Walton. Uh, there's, I think that's surprising against the West, but it, the fact is, it's sort of like the NFL, a lot of teams, everybody's competing. Uh, let's talk about boxing because you were really excited for this weekend. Well, Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter. Terrence Crawford is the top welterweight with Aaron, Errol Spence, and Porter has. He's had wins, had some good wins over Alberto and Garcia, David Alexander, but he's had his losses where he lost to Errol Spence uh, two years ago in a split decision, very close fight. He lost to Keith Thurman. He's been friends with Terrence Crawford like their whole life. They've trained together since they've been young. And so I was really looking forward for this fight. I thought Porter was a 7-1 to underdog, could upset Crawford. And over the first nine rounds, I thought Porter was winning, but then I looked at the judges' scorecard. He was down 5-4 to four on two cards and 6-3 to three on another. But in the 10th round, Crawford knocked Porter down once, knocked him down again, and Porter looked like he was ready to go, but Porter's father you know, ran in through the towel and said, I don't want him to fight anymore. And then afterwards, they were interviewing Porter's father. and like, did you do it? Did you stop the fight because he was hurt? He goes, no, his preparation was terrible. I wanted to teach him a lesson. <laughs> like, that was weird. That was the greatest answer. And then Porter retires after the fight. He says, I'm never going to fight again. Of course, boxers retire all the time. But this is look, the whole thing with boxing is Crawford is 34 years old. He's 30 and 0. Spence is 31 years old. He's 27 and 0. They've been talking about fighting. This is the whole Pacquiao Mayweather thing. For like four years, they've been talking about these two fighting. They refuse. They cannot get them in the ring to fight. In the UFC, you would never see that happen. They always fight. That's the problem with boxing. These two guys should have been fighting like at least Fury and Wilder keep fighting for the, in the heavyweight but in, but in these other divisions Crawford and Spence are happy even though they're the same weight and they're both considered one of the two of the best fighters of all time in waterweight they won't fight each other it's crazy how that works and that yeah turns away a lot of people from boxing and that's why MMA has come on so strong the last decade or two uh, what's going on in racing well, the, just the NASCAR's over, so there's just Formula One. So it's, I always like Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, get a little Formula One action going, and then you start for football. But it's the Qatar Grand Prix, and Verstappen is 
was up by 14 points going into this over Hamilton, and Hamilton won the last race. And uh, Hamilton, again, went out and was able to hold on, ran well the entire race. Whenever Verstappen pitted, he, you know, he was leading them, so he just followed whatever Verstappen did and followed him and ended up winning. And you win, you get 25 points. If you, if you finish second, you get 18. So he could pick up seven, but the, there's a thing called a fastest lap, so you get one. But he cut the lead now to eight with two laps, two races to go. So Hamilton, who has won all these titles, seven titles and go for his eighth title but this is uh very exciting i mean verstappen's uh from belgium and, and hamilton's from england and they're this is really really to come down to the final two races with hamilton having a chance to win and his car is going well i I'm, I'm pumped to see what happens in these final two races so ira good friend of the show taylor gooch got a big win over the weekend and this was it wasn't the most star-studded field but this was no cakewalk congratulations to taylor gooch we have that we have to have him back on Yes, I know. I mean, that's great. It, taught, it, taught, it was a good win for, for him, for Tyler, and uh, the RSM Classic in Sea Island, Georgia. He won setting the tournament record at 22 under par, and there was some good golf. I mean, uh, Justin Rose was in the field, Adam Scott was in the field, Webb Simpson was in the field, but I mean, this opens up. When you win a tournament, it's one thing, you know, people to accumulate money and everything like that, but when you win, that gets you into all these other tournaments. It's like the best thing to do. Yeah. Not only learning $1.3 but this was a big, like when Jim Herman, we had him on the show when he got his victory, and that was like a key thing to, to get those wins. So big win for Tyler to, to, to win. It. He's been playing well the last few months, but it sets up, and he's a young golfer, so this sets him up good for, for next year. It's interesting. They, we were talking to him after the, the game, I mean, after the uh, match he was getting uh, talked to, uh, interviewed, and they asked him, like, what's the deal with your spelling? It's T-A-L-O-R, but it's pronounced Taylor. And he said, oh, it's an old family thing. It's gone back generations. They said, would you do that for your son? He said, absolutely not. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it's caused a little bit of confusion here and there. Brooks and Bryson get and set the play. Well, this is the match. This is the whole Mickelson. They had Brady. Every year they do it on Friday after Thanksgiving. Uh, this is great. It's a 12-hole event. It's not 18, so it won't last forever. Like, see, one of the problems I have with this is that you're only watching two. So when there's a golf tournament, you have to, everybody's taking shots, so it sort of gets boring when there's two. But there's only going to play 12 holes at the win, and it's 4 p.m. on Friday. And uh, I, the question is how much do they hate each other because they really do hate each other, but then during the Ryder Cup they got along. I think if they fought during the Ryder Cup, it would have been helpful to, to get some more juice. I don't think they do like each other, so I actually do think – I think that it, I think they actually don't like each other. I think the Ryder Cup was just – they were just being – friends for the team so i'm excited to see this because i and i just you know so i would it, they probably would be better to have this before the Ryder cup but uh i'm pumped i think it's gonna be very exciting so i report taylor gooch gets a win and it's not talked about at all on social media because every golf outlet is talking about <laughs> tiger woods hitting wedges Tiger Woods hit a wedge, and I, I was like, I have it on my one computer, and it just kept going and going, and I just was like on the phone, and like someone said, what's that noise in the background? I think I ran it in a loop for 15 minutes. This <laughs> Tiger hitting the same shot. I mean, that shows you the power. I mean, that sort of dominates everything else we're talking about in sports, is that Tiger Woods posted a video of hitting just a wedge, uh, with a, <laughs> and that was, that was it. That was, that's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, it took over social media yesterday. Uh, real quick, we got like a minute left. We're going to talk a little tennis. Um, Medvedev won. I mean, uh, Sasha Zarev 
what beat Medvedev to win the, the final, the ATP finals of tennis. Uh, but the year is done, and uh, Djokovic finishes number one, and Medvedev is number two. It is the final rankings, which everybody likes to have. But uh, it's interesting. The first, the, the highest-ranking American is Taylor Fritz at 23. Isner is at 24. But among the top ten, Joker has 20 Grand Slam titles, Nadal has 20, and uh, Medvedev has one. So it shows, shows where the, the still Djokovic and Nadal dominate. And then in the women, Ash Barty has finished the year number one, and uh, Osaka finishes 13. She's really not playing. And then the highest-ranking American is Sophia Kennan at 12. Uh, Coco Golf, though, this is what I'm telling you for next year. You're looking for Coco Golf to make her move, as she's now going to turn 18 next year, play more events, um, and, and this is the year that Coco Golf next year, this and these next majors coming up, will she be, emerge as the next great American after Serena Williams and those things. Serena's ranked 41st, finished the year. But uh, So that's what I'm really looking for for next year, is the Coco Golf's total takeover of the women's tennis store. We are out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira.